Well, good morning. For anybody that doesn't know me, my name's Tom, and um, I'm, uh, I'm ministering training at the Rookie Baptist Church, and I regularly preach down here at South Green. And it's, it's always good, it's always good to preach here. It's always good to be here. And um, this morning, it's especially good because this morning is the first Sunday of Advent, so we start thinking about Christmas, which is always exciting, yeah? For some of us, yeah. That's good, it's good. I, I enjoy it. I like the build-up to Christmas. But I've been really challenged for this, this Sunday because this Sunday, as you may have seen on the, on the, um, the bulletin or preaching plan, <coughs> this Sunday we're looking at the verse that Joan read from Isaiah earlier on this morning. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Just one verse. And it's a verse that we often, often read at Christmas, we often speak about, and we often talk about it as, as a great prophecy, which, which it is, it is. But the verse says this, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, of course, this is a prophecy. In Matthew's Gospel, this is, this is referred back to. Jesus' birth is often spoken about as a fulfilment of this prophecy. Mary, the virgin, being made pregnant through the Holy Spirit. It is a prophecy. But just for today, please, let's not make this about Christmas. Because you see, when, when these words were spoken, this had nothing to do with Christmas. Isaiah had no idea that he was he was making a prophecy that will be fulfilled in hundreds of years' time. This was, these are words spoken into a complex political situation. You see, in order to really understand this verse, we have to, we have to read the whole of chapter 7. We're not going to read the whole of chapter 7 now because um, time wouldn't allow. But, to put it in some sort of context... Um, I'm going to ask for, for some volunteers. Um, there's going to be no acting out or, or anything, any antics involved. It's purely because there's, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of names, and um, just to understand what was going on, it's quite helpful to have a visual demonstration. So um, I'd just like to have, have some people come up and, um, and, and just stand and just represent certain people in the story. So, first of all, um, I, need, I need a king. I need a king. So, Tim, I can see you're, you're bursting to come. So, right, can you stand here? You're going to be King Ahaz, okay? King Ahaz um, was a king of Judah. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't a very good king. <clears throat> he made some very poor decisions and he, he, was, he, he tended to put him, his faith in his own ideas, his own ambitions, and not in God. So, you're a king, but not the best king, unfortunately. But that's, that's important. King Ahaz is an important character. Um, I need someone to, um, to volunteer to be uh, King, king Rezin of, of Aram, which is the country that we now call Syria. So would somebody be prepared just to come and to, to represent King Aram? Norman, thank you very much. So if you'd just like to just oh, stand up... Twenty-five pounds. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll make it quick then. <laughs> <laughs> I 
okay, and we need, we need another king, um, King Pekah, who is um, the son of, of the king of Israel, which some, some scriptures say Israel, others say Ephraim. It's the northern tribe of Israel. So can we have a, a third king to come up, please? Paul, brilliant. Thank you very much. That's excellent. And then finally, finally, um, we need someone to come up and play um, Tiglath, Tiglath Pileser, who was the king of Assyria. Now, Assyria was, was, um, was a very powerful army at the time, a very powerful kingdom. They were driving through Palestine at the time that, um, that Isaiah was alive. And, um, and he was a threat. His armies were a threat. So can someone come up and, and just represent the, the king of Assyria? Joey, you're in the front row. Come on. Well volunteered. Excellent. I can see you're just avoiding eye contact with me there. Brilliant. Okay. So... What happens at this time is that King Ahaz is he's a king of Judah. He's, he sits on his throne in Jerusalem. But the Assyrian army, as I've said, they're driving through Palestine, they're building their kingdom, their empire, and King Ahaz looks at, at, at the way things are going and thinks, well, politically, politically, they're going to be knocking on the walls of Jerusalem soon. There's going to be a siege. We're going to be under threat. What do I do? He then looks the other way and he sees that actually the northern kingdom has formed an alliance with Syria. These two kings over here have formed an alliance. (laughs) And King Ahaz says, well actually, they formed an alliance to defend themselves against Assyria. But I'm stuck in the middle here. If, if If they do defeat Assyria, what's to stop them coming and trying to take Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem's a pretty important town. He thinks one way or the other, I've got to do something. What am I going to do? And this is the context where Isaiah, Isaiah comes and speaks to him. We're told in, in chapter 7, while all this is going on, Ahaz goes out to the pool, the watering hole. What Ahaz was doing was um, he, he went out to the, the, the aqueduct and the, the pool above it, which was the main water supply for Jerusalem. The reason he was doing this is because if Jerusalem was held under siege, if any city is, is held under siege, then nothing get, can get in, nothing can get out. Water becomes the most commodity. Water is more, in, more, more precious than silver or gold because if, if you don't have a reliable water source then your city soon falls because people, people die. After a few days, people, people suffer. And so he's checking out the water supply. We're told in verse 3, The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Yeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. So that's where Isaiah goes and he meets the king there. God says... Say to him, be careful, keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood. (laughs) He says, don't don't lose heart. In other words, don't feel threatened by these two. You'll be okay. Don't feel you have to do something. I've got you in this. I've got you in this. 
He says, don't feel threatened because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Romalia. They plotted your ruin, saying, let's invade Judah, let's tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and let's make the son of Tobiel the king over it. So in other words, they wanted to take Jerusalem, they wanted to to depose um, King Ahaz and they wanted to put a puppet king in place. That was their plan, that was what they wanted to do. And they thought, that this is, going to be, this is going to be good, this is going to help us in our fight against the Assyrian army. But God gives Isaiah these words. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. This is Isaiah passing on the words that God's given him to King Ahaz. It will not take place. It will not happen. He gives us this, this reassurance It will not happen. What you're scared of, it will not happen. I've got you. Trust me. He says, for the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only resin. In other words, the head of Damascus, you really think he's more powerful than me? No problem. Have faith. He says, within 65 years, Ephraim... Ephraim will too be be a shattered people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is only Romalia's son. He's only a man. I'm God. I've got you. I've got you. But, the second part of verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So there's this challenge God says, look, don't, don't worry, don't be concerned. I will protect Jerusalem. I will protect Judah. I will look after you. But, but, if you do not stand firm in your faith, if you do not believe in me, then you will not stand at all. You will not stand a chance. You try and do this on your own, and you're knackered, to use modern parlance. And so that's the, that's the situation that we find ourselves in. Now, Isaiah takes, him, takes his son, God tells him specifically to take his son with him. And his son's name, his son's name literally means a remnant shall repent. We often find this in the Old Testament, don't we, that, that names have very odd meanings. And the reason is that, that when, when God wanted, God knew what was going to happen. God knew his plan. He knows the plan he has for us today. He knew the, the plans that he had for Isaiah then. So when Isaiah was naming his child, God told him the name to give to his son. And it was for a time as this. It was for this time. And so this, this name, Shia Yeshab, it means a remnant shall repent. That's important. Because Isaiah is standing there speaking at the, at the side of the, the, the aqueduct, speaking to King Ahaz. And he says, Isaiah says, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest, deepest depths or the highest heights. In some translations it says, it says, Give God a challenge as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. Now, Sheol is a Hebrew word that is sometimes used to describe the grave. Um, some, some, some people interpret it as, uh, as meaning the roots of mountains. But basically, it was the Hebrew word, so it was the deepest of deep. Nothing could be deeper. And of course, the heavens were the highest of highs. And so, Isaiah says, Isaiah says, Ask the Lord your God for a sign. Ask God to do something, anything. 
ask God to do something. But of course, Ahaz, Ahaz's faith is not strong. Do you find sometimes that you don't want to ask a question of God because you're a bit worried that the answer might not be what you want it to be? Well, that's what Ahaz find, That's where Ahaz finds himself now. He finds himself in a situation where Isaiah is saying, "Look, don't don't make an ally out of Assyria. Don't make an ally out of the northern kingdom, Ephraim or, or, or Syria. Don't join either one of these. Don't get involved in this conflict. God will protect us. God will keep us safe if we just trust in him. If you as our king trust. If you don't believe me, just give, ask God for a sign. Ask him. Ask him for anything. Ask him to, to make it rain for five days. Ask him to, to, to turn your hair blue. Do whatever you like. Ask him. He will give you a sign. Ahaz is so worried because he that there will be a sign. He knows that God will do something and he knows that then he will be left with no option but to sit and to wait and to trust. And he was not the sort of king who was comfortable sitting and waiting and trusting when other armies were fighting and invading and threatening. And so, Ahaz says in verse 12, I will not ask. I will not put God to the test. Now, of course, many of us would read that and think, yeah, quite right, we shouldn't test God. We shouldn't test God. But of course, don't forget, God's just told him through Isaiah to test it. God knows that Ahaz is going to struggle with this. And so, and so God said, look, if you want reassurance of, of, of how faithful I am, then ask me for a sign. So when he says, I will not test God, he's actually disobeying God. That's an act of direct disobedience. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you, house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Note the change in language there. We've just had, um, we've just had in verse 11, um, Isaiah says, ask the Lord your God for a sign. And then we've had this act of disobedience. And we see Isaiah now saying, Will you try the patience of my God also? It's not your God anymore. Suddenly Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah knows that, that God, this act of disobedience that has just been made against God, well, I'm afraid you make your bed, you lie in it. You've crossed the line. That was your chance, Ahaz. That was your chance and you've blown it. And so Isaiah just goes subtly from saying, ask the Lord your God. Ahaz says, I will not ask. And so Isaiah says, don't try the patience of my God. And from that moment on, Ahaz's fate is sealed. Now, thank you very much for standing and representing the various elements of of the background to that story. You may now go and take your seats. I just thought it's it's helpful sometimes to have, just to be able to visually um, demonstrate where people stand, who people are. But you see, what we've done there, that's the, that's the context. That's the context of the background of this story of, that leads us up to this verse. Because we then, 
When Isaiah has just said, will you try the patience of my God also? Really? Are you, you're really going to keep going? You're really not going to obey God? You're going to keep disobeying and disobeying? No. I'm afraid there's a limit and you've just reached it. And there's no going back from this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Whether you want a sign or not, here's one. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now we're so conditioned that we, we read that and we think, what's he suddenly start talking about Christmas? In the middle of this, this debate about the, the political division within the kingdom, why does he suddenly come out with something about Christmas? But he doesn't. Don't make this about Christmas. Don't make this about Christmas. You see, in the Hebrew it talks of Zion. The virgin, the word used there is the same word that has been used to describe Jerusalem, the people of Israel. These, these, these parts of, of the, the makeup of Israel. It's a word that describes a, a young woman who is sexually mature, but pure. That's why many modern translations use the word virgin, the virgin. When Old Testament readers read this, it would have rung alarm bells, not thinking ahead, oh yeah, the Saviour coming. They'll be thinking, hang on, this is the word that is used to describe the people of Israel, the tribes, God's people. God's people will be with child and will give birth to a son. So in other words, God's people as it's been up to now, the, the, the mother if you like, that time has come to an end. Out of that there will be a new birth. The remnant that shall repent. You remember the name of Isaiah's son? Why, what was, where was Isaiah's son in all this? Why was he there? Because the name would not have been lost on Ahaz. The remnant that shall repent. They represent son coming out of the, of the mother. The, 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 the old is gone, the new is here and the new is the small number of Israelites, the small number of the tribe of Judah who would follow Isaiah in his prophecy. This group of people, what's going to be their name, their banner, their tagline? Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. As they went through the challenges that were to come, and those challenges were quite severe. Let's, let's not be in any doubt. This, um, these words, this conversation, place around 734 BC. Syria fell to Assyria in 732 BC, just two years later. After another ten years, Ephraim, the northern kingdom that, was, that had been allied with Syria, that also fell to the Assyrian army in 722 BC. And finally, in 701 BC, Jerusalem fell. The Assyrians took over. You see, King Ahaz made a decision when he was... When he was in the middle, caught between the two different armies, he made a decision that he wouldn't follow God, that he wouldn't remain faithful, that he wouldn't trust. You see, we can read about 
Ahab, Ahaz, sorry, when we go back to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 16, in the middle of all this political wrangling, trying to work out what was going on, we're told 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 7, Ahaz sent messengers to say to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, I am your servant. Come and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and the king of Israel who were attacking me. He made his bed and he had to lie in it. He made this decision. He didn't stay faithful to God. Instead, he, 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 sent, he sent messengers to the king of Assyria and said, I am your servant. What did Jesus say? I spoke briefly on it last week. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. And so as soon as, as, soon as Ahaz sends off these messengers to go and seek help with Assyria and say, I'm your servant, please help me against my enemies. Straight away, God is no longer God to Ahaz. Suddenly the, the, people, of, the people of Judah have made a decision because he spoke for them. Suddenly Israel once again are rebelling In 2 Chronicles 28, verse 19, it says, The Lord had humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had promoted wickedness in Judah and had been most unfaithful to the Lord. Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him but gave him trouble instead of help. Gave him trouble instead of help. He tried to do things on his own. He tried to, he tried to form a, an alliance with Assyria. He thought, well, at least that way, I'll keep my city. At least I'll keep Jerusalem safe. But in doing that, he became a servant to Assyria. And he was no longer a servant of God. He was no longer a servant of God. And so verse 14, we talk about hope. And of course there is hope. There is this hope. Ahaz, Isaiah shared these words, he shared this prophecy and it was giving hope to the people who, who maybe had, had realised that this terrible decision had been taken. In 701 BC when, when they were watching the, the walls of the city caving in and the Assyrian army running like a rash over everything. Things were burning and being destroyed. Maybe they had hope. Maybe there was a group of them who, who knew Isaiah's words and said, guys, Emmanuel, God with us. As we go from this place, as we run, as we flee, as we leave behind our homes and our possessions, everything we know, Emmanuel, God is with us. So let's not make this about Christmas. This verse is a threat. It was a threat of what can happen if we're disobedient to God. It's a threat to Ahaz. But it's also a promise. You often hear in films, don't you? Is that, is that a threat or a promise? Well, it's both. It's a threat and a promise. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. 
Ahaz triggers the birth of the new and the death of the old. He brings on a, a new chapter in the history of Jerusalem. You see, God never gave up on his people. But his people gave up on him. And because of that, there was suffering, there was destruction, there was pain, there was heartache, there was ruin. But at no point was God not with them. Emmanuel, God with us. You can't blame Ahaz for not listening to Isaiah. Prophets tended to be a slightly odd bunch. In Isaiah chapter 20, we learn that at one point in his, in, his, um, in his time, he spent three years walking naked around Jerusalem because God had told him to. Slightly odd behaviour. You can, you can imagine why a king might not feel inclined to, to follow the instructions and the words of a man who's just been wandering naked around the city for three years. It's not the sort of thing that rational, normal people do. But prophets aren't rational, normal people. They are people who hear from God and are obedient to God without question. One of the lecturers at Spurgeon's, Joshua Searle, he's just written a book called Theology After Christendom. And he's got a whole chapter on on prophets and prophecy and and looking at where the modern prophets are. And he, he says this, a line that I found really helpful, prophets see the present in the light of eternity. Isaiah was talking about his present. He would have known that this is, this is slightly odd language, this is a slightly odd way of putting things. But he also knew that God was speaking into the present situation, but he was giving him a message that would be, that would be gone back to time and time again by God's people for reassurance. But of course we now know, we now know that Jesus was the ultimate fulfilment of those words. Maybe after Jerusalem had been sacked and fell, maybe in years to come, before Jesus came, people looked back and said that was the fulfilment, the remnant that repented, the remnant that that left Jerusalem and that stayed faithful to God. That was the prophecy fulfilled. We are the prophecy fulfilled. But then when Jesus came, we're told in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus and the birth of Jesus and the miracle of Mary's pregnancy, that was the ultimate, the final, the true fulfilment of that prophecy. Isaiah and his followers turned the remnant, the remnant that will repent, into a revolution. They turned it into a revolution. They, they continued growing and growing and growing. They added to their number. Generation after generation stayed faithful, stayed repentant and claimed Emmanuel, God with us. In the same way when Jesus was born, Jesus had a remnant, didn't he? The twelve disciples. He too turned his remnant, his followers, into a revolution. 
And they grew and grew and added to their number. And so we find ourselves here today because we are part of that number. We are part of that faithful remnant. And unfortunately, remnant is the right word to use because the majority of the people that we will see in the Christmas market this afternoon or at Christmas parties in the weeks to come or around the dinner table on Christmas Day perhaps will not be part of the repentant remnant. And so it is so important. Shortly we're going to share communion. Shortly we're going to, we're going to recommit ourselves to our God. We're going to remind ourselves that we too can be assured that our name, Emmanuel, God with us, that is the name that we claim. God with us. In everything we do, God with us. Everywhere we go, God with us. Every challenge, every harsh word we receive, every flash of anger we experience, God with us. So as we lead into this Christmas time, I know we'll get distracted because we all do. And that's fine. That's good. Christmas is there to be celebrated and enjoyed. But, but in everything we do, God is with us. So let's not be like Ahaz. Let's not make bad decisions. Let's not choose to disobey and be disobedient to God. But instead, let's make sure that we stay faithful. Even when we're, we're terrified that there are all these pressures and stresses around us. We're, we're, we feel like we're being held under siege we feel like our walls could crumble and we cannot cope and we're going to be overwhelmed by everything. No, because God with us. God is with us in all that we do, now and forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that it is so rich in the the detail of the history and the character of your people. Father, thank you that we can learn so much from your word and that it speaks directly into our situations today. Father, please help us to be faithful to you and to, to live lives that please you. Lord, we pray that we will, be, we will have ears that are prepared to listen when people speak into our lives and into our situations. Father, we pray that we will be obedient, that even when we're, we're scared of what the answer might be, even when we feel that we're about to be overwhelmed by the, the, the external pressures and stresses that plague modern life, Father, we pray that you will help us to stay obedient to you and not to try and fight under our own steam, because we know that we can't. But with you, we can achieve anything. Father, thank you for sending your Son. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the miracle of his birth, for the prophecies that he fulfilled. Father, thank you that, that through his life, through the faith of his disciples, your church was born. And that because of the sacrifice and the resurrection, because of Jesus ascending into heaven and the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that followed to all men, women and children, Father, we give thanks for that. And because of that, we now sit here in your presence as the faithful remnant of your people. 
the remnant that repents, the remnant that proclaim, the remnant that acknowledge, the remnant that submit, and the remnant that can stand and say, God with us. Father, thank you. And as we, as we come now before the communion table, as we share this time of fellowship together, Lord, we remember you. We remember that you sent your son because you don't give up on your people, because you love each one of us. You sent a person because you love people. And Father, as we sit here, we confess to you the times that we've failed you, the times that we've let you down, the times that we haven't honoured you, the times that we've, we've tried to fight our own battles under our own strength, making our own decisions and not consulting you. Father, we ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, it is with thankful hearts that we prepare ourselves to share this communion meal together. We give thanks, Lord, that it is given freely, openly. It costs us nothing, but it costs you everything. Father, bless us as we, as we share this together. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.